Welcome to Pivot, a podcast for church leaders, co-sponsored by Luther Seminary's Faith Lead and Lead. Welcome to Pivot. I'm Terry Elton. And I'm Louise Johnson. Welcome. We are excited today to have two pastors, both pastors from St. Andrew's Lutheran in San Diego, Pastor Sarah and Pastor Manuel. I'm going to ask you two to both introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your context. My name is Sarah Sumner Eisenbrand. I am a pastor here at St. Andrew's, and I've been here for just about three and a half years. Yeah, I'm Pastor Manuel Ramosa. I've been here at St. Andrew's for 16 years. I was called as the youth family and social ministry here. And then four years ago, I was called as senior pastor when our bishop was elected, Andy Taylor. He was a senior pastor before that. And our context here, I, I like, I mean, for Midwesterners, it's kind of, we're in San Diego, but for Midwesterners, we're kind of the first ring suburb. I have got to know both of you through your active leadership in the ELCA um, Children, Youth, and Family Network. And through that time, I have been just taken in, especially, Manuel, some of the stories that you've shared over the years about your commitment with this congregation to have partnerships in Tijuana and really developing that over the year. I would love you to help bring us a little bit into that story about how did you get started in that work and what are some lessons that you've learned, especially for me, as we're thinking about pivoting as the church to be more inclusive, to be thinking about how we get involved in justice and how we are working for getting out of our cultural boxes, I'm going to say, and taking off some of our blinders and privilege, I think. I grew up here in California. I'm a first-generation Mexican-American. My dad was born in Tijuana, and I still have family in Tijuana. Grew up in the American Baptist Church in Stockton, and we used to do mission trips back in the 80s with that youth group, and I'd come down here with my youth group, and we'd stay at a Baptist church close to the water here and take the drive every day down to Tijuana, and we'd go work what they call near the dump to build these homes. We'd go in for the day, and then we'd hop on the bus and drive back across the border and so on one of those particular trips, when I was probably about 17, I really got kind of, I don't know, angry because I kept hearing my peers and my adult leaders talk about how we're going down to Mexico to help these poor Mexicans. And so I said, okay, we, last day I said, let me tell you where we're going to go in Tijuana. Our last day, I told my youth pastor, he's driving the bus. So well, the main thing that I did is I took them to my aunt's house which is as big as a church. Her living room actually looks like a chapel and it overlooks the whole Tijuana River Valley there in Tijuana. And my uncle was a heart surgeon there in Tijuana, families, dentists and orthodontists and all that. So I wanted to show them there's Mexicans that have money too. And they're my family. We're not just a bunch of poor Mexicans. And so went to my aunt's house and then we drove around the old embassy neighborhood and down by the mayor's house and showed them a different part of Mexico. The other thing that bothered me is we go into that neighborhood and we build these homes for these people and we'd leave. At one point I had a mother come out and she had this platter of potato and chorizo taco. So there's like 20 of us in this bus and none of my peers would eat those tacos. They were all afraid. You know, you can't drink the water down there. You don't know where these tacos have been. 
And I was like, you kidding me? They've been, and they were so good. So me and another friend who's now a doctor in Michigan ate the whole platter of tacos and gave the empty platter back. And then we didn't have to worry about dinner that night. But that lack of connection, that lack of trust really started to get to me that, you know, I would never see that woman again. I'd never see her family again. And so that had been working on me since I was a teenager, really a sense of injustice on both sides that, you know, this youth pastor would do this and not create some relationship with these people that we're, we're helping, as I like to say. Daniel, thank you so much for that story and sharing that. It's a compelling story, right, in a beginning. And I'm curious, as you think about your own leadership at St. Andrews, how you think about, I think all of us as clergy, right, are trying to figure out how we shape transformation, right? How we ourselves are transformed and how we're helping mm-hmm. our people engage in the transformative love of God and Jesus Christ and, and what that looks like. So I'm just curious about that, how you would give language to your own sense of leadership in that transformation. I think the two words are slow and patient. <laughs> you know, it started out, there are a couple things I'm thinking about. One is within a month of me being here, I was going to Tijuana like every other week and going to see family or just going shopping or going out to dinner or going to lunch and coming back. For a lot of people in in this community, they would never consider doing that. So it was important to me that when I had the, when I was in the pulpit or when I was sharing a story, even, you know, around the table eating somewhere that I said, I went to Tijuana. So even one, one time in the first year, my, my mother-in-law and her husband came down, we went to Tijuana, had dinner, and then I brought back groceries and, one of which included a papaya. And at that time, we couldn't bring papayas back across the border. So we ended up going to secondary. One of the very few times I went to secondary when I came across the border. And the border patrol agent and I were kind of joking. And I asked, you know, what do you do with papaya? And he said, well, we have to put it in the incinerator. That's what we do with everything we, we confiscate. And then he just waved us on. So it was like a half hour wait in secondary. It wasn't a big deal. But I came back and opened my sermon that Sunday morning. That was Saturday night. Sunday morning, say, I went down to Tijuana last night and got, they sent me to secondary. And then I got all these responses about, well, you, sh- you know, you really shouldn't be going down there on Saturday night. That's when everything bad happens. I'm like, down with my family. <laughs> and then so slowly bringing up the stories, slowly sharing, like, yeah, we did it and we're back. And the other thing that I did is my, in my first year was decide we were going to go on a mission trip to Mexico. I had a lot of quite a bit of pushback, even from the leadership here about doing it, but they let me do it. So I took three kids that first mission trip and the next year it was six kids. The next year it was nine. The next year it was like 15 or 16 kids. So it just grew over time. We'd go to the same children's home, Miracle Ranch in Las Palmas, which is 20 miles south of Tecate, just inland a little bit from Tijuana, and start those relationships both for the adult leaders to have a relationship with the directors and, and the, the adults who serve that community, but also, and particularly for our youth to have relationship with the other youth there who are at the children's home. So, and those connections have continued. And so much so that there's about 50% of what, what goes on, maybe more, the connection between St. Andrews and Miracle Ranch, I'm not a part of. There are other adults and youth who are initiating that work. So that's my hope because in all that I do as a pastor, and I've always remind staff and 
council and sometimes the congregation too. I'm not here forever. I'm going to be gone. So whatever gets initiated, you guys are going to have to take because I don't know who's going to come after me. Who's going to be called here. I'm not always patient with the things that the transformation that I want to see. And I kind of say, God, let's speed it up. I'm not always willing to wait on the spirit either. But I appreciate the idea of that shared ownership and that wider ownership. My dad served his first call in Southern California. And I too spent years going down to San Diego and crossing the border and serving in that. But one of the stories that I take from that was a high school kid that came back and worked at the grocery store behind the church who came and said to my dad, who's the pastor one day, Pastor Raleigh, they're going to throw out some hamburger because it was expired. And I told them not to. Can we bring that to the orphanage? It was the young person who said that. And my dad said, okay. And the next day, my dad's day off was Monday. We got in our station wagon. I don't know how old I was. I was young. Got in with him. And we drove to Tijuana with the hamburger. And the person there said, we ran out of food yesterday. and We knew you would show up. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And I thought nothing of it as a kid. I thought that's just what it happened. But it was the high school kid. My dad was just responding to the high school kid. So Sarah, you've come into this. Mm-hmm. So Manuel's been doing this work, getting some stuff going. How have you been able to take some of these relationships and continue the growth or the partnerships as you imagine where God might be kind of in this moment? Yeah, it's been a real gift to me. I think one of the things that I have long time had a desire to be more deeply connected to was to be a part of ending human trafficking. And so when having an opportunity to be closer to the border and maybe have direct way to volunteer or be involved in any sort of way to either prevent or help with the healing process for people who have survived human trafficking, that was actually in my mind when we were having conversations about me coming to potentially accept a call here. So that's just something that like, that's a personal passion of mine as well. But then to come here and uh, Miracle Ranch was very much discussed in my call process and my interview process. And then I'm like you, Terry, I have small children. And so anytime that I have gone to a place like Miracle Ranch or my kids have had these amazing opportunities to just what kind of like what you described. And I'm grateful for that, like on a personal level. So there there's that aspect. And then, yeah, congregationally, it's just it's very meaningful to me to be a part of a congregation that has grown and changed and transformed through relationships and to trust and know then what that says about the character of this congregation, the passion, the heart, the calling of this congregation, and then to always be asking the question, well, now what's next? Like, we're just not going to stop here. We're going to say, you know, God is still calling us to keep stretching and doing more. And so to get to be a part of that is really meaningful for me and exciting, not always easy, but exciting. I want to ask both of you to just to think a little bit with us around the kind of, I think, tense 
political situation that we're living in in our country. It always has been, I think, but of course it's gotten far more tense. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like overnight, right? But but particularly in in the past several years. And so I'm not under any illusion that somehow everybody around you loves what you're doing and thinks it's great. So I'm just curious how you're navigating that, how you think about that in relationship to your own calling and scripture and, you know, one-on-one how you're working with people in that kind of tension? There are things that I can say as a white woman that Pastor Manuel feels he can't really say. And then there are things that Pastor Manuel feels like he can say in his identity, you know, as a Mexican Native American man that I might not be able to say, or that it's going to get heard differently depending on who says it. Mm -hmm. That's just reality. And that's also a part of the trust of our working relationship is that there are times we have to say, you know, this might need to be said in a sermon or this conversation may need to happen. Who's going to say it and how, right? Is Mm -hmm. that fair to say? Yeah, that's exactly right. We talk about that sometimes. And so especially when we're talking about things that can be tense politically for people, you know, that has been a journey. There have been times where that has been draining. Mm -hmm. And and just to name the honesty of that too, we we talk about the reality when when someone imagines what a Lutheran pastor looks like, it is not one of us. And so we do talk about that. That is real. That's true. And at the same time, it's not like that's the whole story either. You know, so there are just times or sometimes you have to navigate those difficult things by making sure we're checking in with each other Mm -hmm. and being honest about, well, do you want to say this? Do I want to say it? Who's going to respond? How are we going to respond? And just making sure that we have some intent intentionality and thought behind things. Mm -hmm. Again, with the hope and goal that it's, for me, it's always about making sure we're being faithful and honest in our interactions with congregational members or other colleagues or however that that Mm -hmm. happens. So California often is thought of as like the left coast, right? That it's a bunch of liberals, crazy liberals out here. However, this is a huge military town. We have bases all around us. Every morning I wake up to the jets taking off at Miramar, and that's just one of the airports that they have here in the military. So, and there's a lot of retired military as well. And so in the congregation, we have retired military who tend to be in the more conservative side. One of the things that I appreciate about this congregation is that we've been able to hold Mm -hmm. those political ideals somehow together. So much so that people feel, you know, sometimes it it can be a little hurtful, but often it is somebody just sharing their thoughts, what they heard, what they've seen, and being willing to be open to listening to them. Mm -hmm. I think in particular about we did a water drop with Border Angels several years ago, and one of our retired military fellows had several people that were not happy that I was taking a group out there to drop water out in the desert for these people that are crossing the border. But I had one who came up to me and said, I don't agree with what you're doing, this retired military guy, but here's a hundred dollars to help you buy water to take out there. And that is, you know, it's a great witness to me too, that he was able to do that. And he saw that as part of the ministry of St. Andrews that he is a part of. There's several more stories like that of people you would not expect because of their political thinking or party affiliation, being open to hearing it. So I've listened to people. I want to hear their stories Mm -hmm. as well. 
But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that people know and trust Pastor Manuel. So they know I might not be comfortable with this, but I trust you. And I think that goes a long ways. I would love for you to talk about what are the learnings that you've had about being, as we say at Luther Seminary, a Christian public leader, the public nature of that regarding these issues, because around immigration, around just like what you did as a teenager manual, kind of stepping up and like, a, what's the high school kid doing, telling the youth worker what to do or the pastor, <laughs> but you, you did, right? That was a step, a leadership move, right? Mm-hmm. Let me do this. How have you done that with regard to some of these issues in your community and within the church as a whole? So one of the coolest, most meaningful things that has happened that's been a gift in this pandemic is that there has been a grassroots organizing of interfaith leaders here in San Diego, in the larger San Diego area. And so I would say for me, one of the ways that that continues to be the most meaningful, impactful is to recognize we are public leaders alone, that we're a part of this larger network. And for us, that involves also rabbis, imams, other faith communities, and that when we work together to speak, we speak with one voice, recognizing that we want to be a part of a larger movement that recognizes people's God-given value and humanity. And so there was some organizing. That was part of my role pre-pandemic was participating in some of the interfaith community gatherings. However, it just took on a whole new level and it was very organic. It was like, well, I know this person, I know this person. And then all of a sudden, here we all are on a Zoom call. And before we know it, in an hour, we've organized an interfaith prayer for justice and peace around the election. And both Pastor Emmanuel and I had an opportunity to participate in that. Pastor Emmanuel spoke and did a land acknowledgement as a part of that. And to recognize we weren't standing up there by ourselves, just representing ourselves or even our congregation or even our denomination, that we're part of a larger conversation of colleagues. And that has been a beautiful gift to me, very spiritually enriching for me because I recognize like it can be so overwhelming. And again, this all came because of the pandemic. We would have never been able to get all these people in the room together Mm -hmm. just for scheduling even, you know what I mean? Because everyone's lives are so full, but we say, okay, every Thursday for 45 minutes, we're going to, you know, be on this Zoom to get this event organized. And then once we did our first event, it just took off. We've had three or four. Mm -hmm. different types of interfaith prayer gatherings or demonstrations or services that we've done. One place I think of is I give tours at Chicano Park. In Chicano Park, it's like this art gallery beneath the free overpasses in downtown San Diego. And these tours, I've done them for uh, university students. We've had several universities that do like a summer two-week trip and they stay in our community center. And Mm -hmm. so they end up you know, I kind of get them linked up with different organizations around here and give them a tour of Chicano Park. I've done it for youth groups as well, sharing both the story of my family and how long we've been here in California or in Baja, California, but also the history of Latin America and politics as well. And I also want to recognize that today as we're doing this recording, it is Cesar Chavez Day. So thank you for setting up this date. Be part of it because that is part of my tour as well as to talk about his work for the farm workers union and that all started. So sharing in that way with those youth groups and in you know with the mission trips as well and giving the tours, whether it's a water drop or Chicano Park, or even just going down to the border fence for our own congregation here at St. Andrews, 
for them to experience that as well. I want to highlight, I have been a student of Manuel. Manuel, that has just seemed to become a part of your identity period. And mm-hmm. you're also a pastor. And so to also have the leadership end when you're with leaders, right, yeah. to do that. But I really appreciate the way that you have invited people into thinking about various issues, for example, land as a Native American, mm-hmm. and of awakening some of us to some issues that have just been naive to, and mm-hmm. then to start wondering, what does that mean? And so I thank you for that, that educational, but story invitational to curiosity and to learning, right? And that empowerment. Now, what do you do with it? You leave it Mm -hmm. to them, but open up that invitation. So Mm -hmm. I have been a learner in in Manuel's (laughs) presence. So thank you, Turn. Yeah, curiosity is exactly what I want to instill. I want people to be not only curious about their story, or about history, but also I'm going to hope that in our preaching, my preaching, that I create that kind of curiosity for the Bible as well. The longer we've been in ministry, the more deeply, at least for me, I become aware of the fact that I'm not called to pretend to be, (laughs) to pretend to be someone other than me. God is calling me. And so it can take some personal work to get to that place where you can say, I'm going to be myself in this call. Again, appropriately and all that, but like recognizing like God is calling me. And if there's something that I feel passionate and strongly about, God's not saying leave that part of you at home when you show up to, mm-hmm. you know, to be a pastor. Right. But it, that's not always as easy as it sounds. And that's part of the growth. I think of being a pastor is kind of learning how to live into the fullness of you, mm-hmm. who you are as a leader, but then also recognize this is a phrase I always return to that. It's not about me either. So that tension, I think that space of tension is where a Mm -hmm. lot of growth happens. I'll share a little bit about something about growth in that. Very literal. At the end of my seminary time, I had a ponytail, much like I have right now, Mm -hmm. about halfway down my back. And then I was knew I was going to have to be in this interview process with these Lutheran congregations. So I cut my hair real short. I went down to the what we called in the 80s, the preppy style. Because I didn't want people to make any assumptions about who I was. My name is enough. So I cut my hair short. I kept my hair short for oh about 11 years. My daughter, who's now in her 20s, kept asking. Because she grew up, you know, as a child, she would grab my ponytail as I was holding her and like point my head where she wanted me to go. Anyway, she said, Dad, you got to grow your hair back. Can you just grow your hair back? Well, they called me here as senior pastor. And within that year, I started growing my hair back down. So I was like, well, they know who I am now. I can't hide it. So I'm going to grow. And I did get a little bit of questioning about it. Yeah. But now I get to be who I am to them. So I have my long hair back. Well, I mean, part of church work is I experienced this as a woman leader. And he is, you know, Pastor Manuel will talk about his experiences of being a person of color and a leader. Because people say little things to you. Those microaggressions. And so the way that we try to support each other is, you know, when something like that happens with him, we know we have each other's back, I guess. And we have this common experience where we both kind of, we both know what that feels like. 
And so to just work through some of that together is, is a really meaningful thing. And yeah, he does get a lot of comments about his hair and it just kind of drives me bonkers, but it does happen. And yeah. it does also invite conversation too, which I think can be, again, a place of growth, especially within the context of a relationship with someone. One of the things that's just really clear is that the two of you work really well together and that lots of that is based on your capacity to be honest with each other and to be yourselves. And boy, what a gift that is just to hear about that kind of clergy partnership that just I think is probably part of what makes your ministry in your congregation and communities so powerful. And thank you for that. What a gift that is. So I was going to ask you the question, if you had counsel for your peers, right? Like as you've walked through this kind of ministry and leadership and a pandemic and racial uprisings and so on and so forth, if you have words of counsel for your peers, that sounded like it to me, but I want to just check in and see if there are other things that you would want to say, right? What counsel would you give us in terms of your own perspective of where you live and what you've experienced? Well, I mean, again, I think Pastor Manuel talked about this, and I agree. It is important to see things with your own eyes when you can. Before we make assumptions about what someone else's experience is like, what they might be thinking or feeling, what they believe, it is a, it a significant thing to step aside and say, well, I want to hear this person's story. I want to see it with my own eyes. It changes the way we experience people that we might Mm -hmm. say are other than us. That's important. And be present and try to put aside whatever agenda we might have or goals we might have to just really be present in a situation, in a conversation, in an interaction as much as you can and recognize what more might be happening here. You know, our congregation is right now going through the process of trying to organize to support a Haitian family that came through our southern border, kind of got stuck in Tijuana, two parents, seven children. The mother gave birth on the journey from Haiti through Central America up to the southern border, presented themselves seeking asylum and are just finally now being resettled here, don't speak English or Spanish, right? We can't assume we know what that family needs. I can't fathom that Mm -hmm. life experience. So one of my hopes is that not just us as pastors, but our whole congregation can listen to and care for authentically for this family. And I think it's one thing like that at a time. I keep going back to, I think I spoke earlier about patience, that patience that we need to have because too often we just, I mean, I hear this from other colleagues, like I just want to tear the place down. Well, I want change now. And I think it's, especially in the church, change takes a long time. So we have to be patient as a church. And I think we have to be patient with ourselves. Within that patience for ourselves, I think we need to be tender to ourselves as well. And that allows us to be tender to others. And when we can get there it's a place of empathy. And I'm not just talking about empathy for the poor children who are at our borders, but empathy as well for those who don't agree with us, yeah. who are on the other political side. We have to get in their shoes as well and understand their perspective. That's really wise. So patience is what I was taking away, Manuel, when you said to, and patience for transformation. I mm-hmm. think sometimes the impatience may get an action but the action, kind of like the mission trip, is not really getting at it. It's not 
penetrating deep enough. It's not touching and transforming our hearts. Mm -hmm. It's not opening our blinders. It's not bringing us to that empathy that you talked Mm -hmm. about. Ownership is what we you want to do. You don't want to just give it to them. They have to take it and take ownership of it. But the other piece that I'm taking away from that is I think sometimes us, I'm going to say us as me, white, middle, upper class, white American production people want to do stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so it feels like we're not doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And what I hear also from you is the work of this, the active work of this is storytelling, is listening, is embodied learning. Because I've been to your neighborhoods that you're talking about, pictures are coming in my mind when you're talking. And that brings me to a different place than another place that I've never been that we can begin to bring ourselves into the story. Because I'm a mother that has given birth, I cannot imagine traveling and doing that when you're telling that story, Pastor Sarah. Or the sense of, I've traveled in a foreign country that I don't know the language, how scary that might be. As we can do some relating to parts of this Mm -hmm. story, things get opened up in us. And I think that's what I'm really curious about, this long view that also is being work. Yes. And as you were speaking about your perspective on this, it reminded me of how when I take youth groups down or any groups to Mexico or any, we also do Oaks Indian Mission or whatever. Everybody's so ready in the group to go out and do some work. They mm-hmm. had to get up in the morning at you know seven o'clock, get your coffee, breakfast. We're going to go out and paint a barn or whatever, right? Hurry up. We got to do this stuff. And I have to tell them over and over again, slow down. Part of learning is to slow down. We'll get to it. It'll get done. It's not on our time. It's on, we call it Mexican time sometimes. And so be patient. (laughs) Don't jump right in. And that, that, when you have to sit in that silence and wait, that's when you have time to start thinking about your story Mm -hmm. and or sharing those stories with others. And that is part of our faith is an oral tradition. Way back when, they would, there's a stories that were just shared. We realized, I think, fairly early on, all things considered, that the, the coming out of the pandemic part was going to be messier and more painful in a lot of ways than maybe the entering into it was. Or it's a different type of pain, maybe is a better way to Mm -hmm. say it. And so one of the things we were discussing is how do we help this congregation recognize that they are still a part of something larger than themselves when they haven't been in person together for a year, pretty much. And so we did a storytelling emphasis for the season of Lent. We and we used the devotional book from that Augsburg Fortress put out called A Story to Tell. We encouraged people to journal, we put prompts together. But then our midweek services. We gathered people who have a common experience, got them together on Zoom most of the time. There was one time where it was in person, but then we basically just pushed record. We did have some guiding questions to say like, so that every conversation had the same guiding questions that were maybe tailored just a little bit, depending on what stories we were wanting, hoping would get shared. Our emphasis, our theme this whole year at St. Andrews has been St. Andrews outside the box. Because the box that we worship in, it's our building is it's a, a big box. 
And we weren't going to be doing worship, ministry, anything in that box for a year, but we're still St. Andrews. So how are we being St. Andrews outside Mm -hmm. of this box of this building? The first week for Lent, we did teaching outside the box and we had teachers, a couple shared different experiences. The next week we did living with disabilities. We had four people who have a different experience of living with disabilities, just be in conversation about that. And in particular, there were two of them that had been, their lives had been affected by polio. So it looked right into the whole vaccine piece that we've been talking about the last several weeks. So. They both, yeah, they both have lifelong disabilities after contracting polio as children. Mm-hmm. Then the next week we had nurses and medical professionals share their stories of administering vaccines. And then we had people share adoption stories. And then the last week was, which was powerful too, the last week was refugee stories. Mm-hmm. This was just, again, this is how the spirit works, I think. It was right after the shootings in Atlanta, and it had really cracked open a conversation about the racism that Asian American community members experience. Well, we had scheduled this five weeks earlier. The family that was sharing their refugee story was a family of Vietnamese refugees that were forced to flee when Saigon fell made their way here to the U.S., were adopted by this congregation and sponsored by St. Andrews, and then loved and cared for as they they had to leave a three-year-old child behind in Vietnam. It took them 10 years to get their child back. Now that couple, their children grew up in this congregation, and now their grandchildren are growing up in this congregation. So we had the grandchild, the daughter, who's in our youth group, interview her grandparents about what it was like to come to the U.S. as refugees. And it is so wonderful. The power of sharing these stories, especially right now when we need to hear them so bad, was, again, there was one time where I just was, the hymn we had sung was called Signs and Wonders. I was like, if this isn't a sign of how God Mm -hmm. is at work, you know, I don't know what would be. (laughs) So I just, just giving people space to be honest and share those stories and then receive them has been so healing, Mm -hmm. so healing. And I think also opening again to say, how do we want to continue to be this community Mm -hmm. for others? But it also allowed us, because I think there's a lot of emotions right now Mm -hmm. in our culture, and a lot of people aren't in touch with their emotions very well, and so they come out sideways often. And I think allowing a space, it was really, really important. It was important for me. That's what I got. It was because I am grieving through this time, as we don't get to see our parishioners on a regular basis. I don't get those little Mm -hmm. conversations face-to-face as people are coming in to worship or going out. So to have those have those stories being shared on the live stream through worship, those connections are started and it allows that emotion to, to come out in an appropriate way. And, and again, the healing that happens and like mm-hmm. we never imagined in it. We obviously had a vision for what it would be, but it was just such a powerful thing to step back and say, All of us have people like this in our communities that are carrying these stories around. And we quoted Mm -hmm. Maya Angelou where she says, you know, carrying an untold story within you is like one of the most painful things you can experience is having an untold story inside of you. Mm -hmm. I just wonder what stories out there in our congregations, in our communities that could be told and the transformation that could happen when they're told and received in a loving way. It's not just about telling it. It's also about how it gets received, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately a lot of my my goals that I have as a pastor in Lutheran church is that this Lutheran church is a church of immigrants. Mm -hmm. Sadly, we've lost that story. 
will still eat that crazy fish and whatever. I you won't. Know, I won't I or whatever that is. But <laughs> we won't really talk about it. And it's like, it's the whole Minnesota nice thing where you don't have any nice, they don't say it at all. So let's just bury it. But that doesn't allow us to empathize with others who we share the same story with. Mm-hmm. So if we can crack open those stories of our church history here in America, I think it'll definitely be a, a benefit to all people, not just our Lutheran people. One of the things is you were talking not only about your Lenten series, but about the culture that you're cultivating at St. Andrews. That's the church I want to be a part of. <laughs> when I think ahead on the other side of the pandemic, when I think on the other side of the George Floyd trial that's going on here, when I think on the other side of the all the immigrants that are at the border that we're trying to figure out, like any of these one issues, I want a place where I can go and those stories are told and we're actually getting at the pain and brokenness and hope that live alongside each other. It, and the hope comes from the gospel, not from a good pastor or my neighbor. Yeah. Right. It's outside of us. That's what binds us together. Yes. I would listen to these stories all day because for me, this is a foretaste of what I hope and long for for us in the church. Thank you on this very busy week for giving us time to reflect on the ministry of one congregation that God is working in and through, and the Spirit is nudging you in particular ways in this time. And thank you for seeing the unseen sometimes or for naming the unnamed, or working out who should name the unnamed in this time, because I think that is the bold move for me of what it means to be a public church, is working that out in a way that's authentic to who we are, that's out of our story and out of who God has created us to be. But it's also true in our time. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be church in our time? Thanks for joining us for this episode of our Pivot Podcast. For more leadership resources from LEAD, you can go to waytolead.org, or from Faith Lead, go to faithlead.luthersem.edu.